Welcome to episode 48 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. Hey, welcome back to another episode. Um, I wanted to share this week a resource I've been using. I've talked a lot about before that I love like a one-stop resource, something that I can pull up one thing and use it with almost my whole caseload. And um, there's a new one that came out just recently, and it's more for middle school and up. I've used it with I used it with almost my whole entire caseload in the high school. And it is um, on Boom Cards, it's called Speech Plus Language Stories. And what she's done is she's written this story. And I think she's going to, I'm begging her to come out with more chapters. That is the plan is that she'll do a new chapter um, every week or that you could use in each session. And so it has this great story in it. So you've got lots of contextualized language and then Uh, within that, it has different targets. So it has that you can, after you read the story, you can work on comprehension questions. You can do even um, some of those expressive language goals, like uh, complex sentences, uh, retelling a narrative, and answering inferential questions, doing context clues, and just has basically hit almost every single goal that are on my high school kids IEPs. So I am like, oh, I am planned for the rest of this, the whole year if she keeps coming out with these. So go there and buy them so she can continue to create this great resource because it's just, it's everything I would want to put in a resource for my students to make it contextualized language intervention that I don't have time to do right now. So I'm all for paying someone for their time to make things. So I will put it in the show notes, but it is um, speech and language stories and it's called The Ride. So you'll it's really engaging for kids too, I think, because it's a story of like three um, siblings that decide to go on a cross country ride um, and their kind of their plan and what they're going to do on that. So go there and maybe we'll have her on too, to talk about creating this resource and, and working in teletherapy. I know. Do you remember? I, who did? I've got to look. Let me see. I did message her. Um, her name is Kendra Lee. So, yep, she was sharing it on some Facebook groups. Um, If you're not Mm -hmm. part of some of the uh, teletherapy Facebook groups, she put it out on there and was asking for like feedback from people that Mm -hmm. used it while she created this first resource. So I think it's great. Well, I'm going to have to look it up because I I wasn't familiar with that one. So, yeah, shout out to Kendra and hopefully we can get her on and encourage her to to come talk to us, but also to create more stuff. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Well, speaking of some online stuff, I ran into an article uh, from our friends over at Global Teletherapy. They do a blog, and uh, it was just a short little article, little blog post, uh, four reasons why teletherapy will continue to flourish after the pandemic is the name of the most recent, one of their most recent blogs. And they talk about, obviously, convenience. It is convenient. It's convenient, I think, for the clinician as well as, of course, for the for the patients and the families that, and children that we're serving. Um, and so it is convenient. It's a continuity of care. So increases continuity of care. And what we've seen 
in many situations uh, where we can have more consistent therapy because we're doing it through telepractice. We don't have as many no-shows. We don't have as many other problems that come up when we're doing in person. Uh, the cross-license, uh, and we're seeing, you know, what we're seeing now, the cross, you know, going, being able to practice across states, and we see a couple of the uh, compacts that are going on in terms of there's one for OT and I think PT and nursing, and and then we have the speech pathology and audiology compact that's, you know, going to be going into effect. And so we see this movement where people are going to have more freedom to structure their private practice, a virtual private practice, and be able to uh, practice across state lines. So all of that's coming. And then, uh, of course, the big one is reimbursement. And so, and hopefully, as we've talked about before, none of that goes away after the pandemic. And hopefully with these bills in Congress, we'll see those things all the reimbursement that we have right now and all the codes that have been approved from CMS that they will stay in place and we'll be able to continue to use them. So it was just a short little reminder of this isn't going away. And I, I definitely see that as well and believe that. And so I think as professionals, we just have to continue to you know, provide this as an option for our families, you know, even after the pandemic. And I think there will be demand there for it. And I see it even at, you know, where I am, where hospitals are definitely investing in telehealth. And I see that, you know, this is the pandemic is just changing how everybody is see, is is sort of approaching how they're going to provide services to their patients and to the families, you know, across disciplines. So uh, it's an exciting time to be doing this kind of work. And it's going to be really exciting to see in the next three to five years where we continue to, to go with telepractice and teletherapy and telehealth. Yeah. Yep. So. Well, we were here before it was cool. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. We will be here long after yeah. if it, but I don't think it's going away. I think, like you said, it's going to keep growing. It's, it's going to keep growing. I mean, I think things will always, I mean, I think we're going to have a shift back a little bit because of in person versus telehealth. And, and I'm certainly seeing that now where, in-person therapy is starting to pick up again and you know parents want a little break from all the online learning mm -hmm. and teaching that their kids have gone through and i get that but i i don't think it's gonna be you know put away put back in the closet and close the door and oh we don't have to use that again yeah. because you know the pandemic's behind us we're just gonna right. go back to all in person i, I just don't think that's gonna happen so do the planning now, folks, uh, and make sure that you are looking uh, two to three years out because it's still going to be here and it's, you know, we're still going to need well-trained people to deliver these services. Yep. Uh, and speaking of that, uh, we have uh, Julie Savinsky, uh, one of those Canucks, those uh, Canadian, uh, <laughs> who's uh, has a, a great uh, new private practice that she's developed, uh, Sweet Speech Therapy up in Ottawa, and she's joining us today to talk about her experiences so far and setting up a private practice, and it's a virtual clinic, so I'm excited to hear what her uh, the process has been for her in this journey of setting up her practice. Great. Hi, this is Todd. I just wanted to mention an event that's coming up that Kim and I are really excited about. 
we are going to live stream our 50th episode. That will be on Wednesday, May 5th at 6 p.m. until about 7.30. We're working on inviting a really stellar panel of special guests to join us. But please put that on your calendar. We'll be live streaming it to our newly formed Facebook group and probably to some other places as well. More details on all of that to come. But we have the date, Wednesday, May 5th, 6 p.m. Eastern. Check it out. And now back to the interview. Julie, welcome to the podcast. Give us a little more information about your background and how you became a speech-language pathologist. Sure. Thank you so much for having me on as a guest. So everybody, I am Julie Savinsky, a pediatric speech-language pathologist based in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Um, I am the founder of Sweet Speech Therapy, which is my very own virtual clinic. And uh, another little bit of information is that I speak both French and English, and so uh, my clinic is a bilingual one. That is awesome. So, how, yes. so wh- where did you go to school, and uh, how did you just? Dis- how did this uh, idea of becoming a speech language pathologist? How did that hit you? So, when I was about fourteen years old, I attended my younger brother's speech assessment. So he had a stutter at the time, and I'm not sure why I was there, but I just remember sitting there and watching the assessment and thinking, um, you know, this seems like a fun job. I also had the thought, wow, this seems kind of uh, easy, which I know now is not the case. <laughs> um, <laughs> they just play, right? <laughs> play it seems like so much fun and so I actually just kind of took a leap of faith and decided to study speech language pathology and ended up falling in love with it so I got really lucky there Um, I went to Laurentian University to get my bachelor's in speech language pathology and then the University of Ottawa to get my master's and both programs were actually in French which is a little bit more rare Um, so that was very interesting and uh, and then I moved on and, and you know worked in a small town where I was the only speech language pathologist in the whole town. So that was quite the challenge as a new graduate, Um, just, you know, kind of responsible for all of the children that came to the children's treatment center where I worked, Um, definitely build some independence at the time. And uh, that was a great experience. And I've also worked in uh, some schools briefly and then moved on to private practice uh, in more of a contract position. And eventually, sweet speech therapy came about. And so now I am contracted with a clinic and I have my very own virtual clinic as well. So that was kind of my, uh, that's how I got to sweet speech therapy. That's a great journey. So did did you grow up? I'm just interested in your bilingualism. Did you grow up speaking both languages? I did. So I am from the province of Quebec, which is... uh, mainly francophone. Mm -hmm. Um, I grew up in a household that was very bilingual. So I would say I learned French first, but English was just, you know, very um, closely came closely afterwards. So um, yeah, I used to watch, I mean, TV in English and listen to music in English, and then I would go to school and speak French. So it was very bilingual overall. Um, But yeah, that's where the French comes from. Well, it it reminds me of an old joke of you know, what do you call a person who's trilingual or speak? Well, who, what, oh, excuse me, I just screwed it up. What do you call a person who speaks three, lingu- three languages 
is trilingual. A person who speaks two languages is bilingual. And what do you call a person who speaks one language? American. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's- yeah. That's what so, I was going to bring that up too. I feel like in America, people are so set on the if you teach them two languages at once, they're going to have a language delay. It's going to cause a language delay. And I think that too. Sometimes I'm like, um, every, like, there's a lot of countries that have been doing that for a long time and they don't have this like huge influx of kids with sl- language delays because they taught them two languages right. at once. It doesn't happen. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a great point, right? That's a great argument to make with parents too when they're asking us about, you know, should we teach two languages or should we keep our home language and, you know, the language um, from school? Absolutely. Why not, right? There's no evidence showing that that would cause any delays. And so I like that argument. I'm going to use that. (laughs) Yeah, there's a weird thing here in the U.S. where we just don't, we haven't embraced you know, other languages the way we should. We do teach it, you know, in some schools and people can opt to take it. And in college, you can take a foreign language and sometimes that's a requirement, but it's kind of late to get started when you're in college, you know? And so it's, it's, you know, it's always been one of those things I wish I had is, you know, another language or two. Uh, But at any rate, (laughs) we'll solve that problem next time. Um, (laughs) So... Um, as you've transitioned into telepractice, uh, what has been sort of your learning curve there? What's been the biggest challenge and maybe the biggest um, aha moment or reward that you've seen? Right. So I think when I first transitioned to virtual services, I actually gave myself one day to transition, which is um, pretty wild looking back mm-hmm. now. Um, but, you know, the, it was the looming um, shutdown. And I thought, OK, I'm in private practice. I still need to continue working. What am I going to do? Gave myself one day to prepare and then saw clients the next day after that. So that was terrifying. Um Looking back, I'm, you know, very proud of myself for being able to navigate that, but it was very difficult and a huge learning curve at first, um, having never really even thought of the possibility of telepractice. Um, but you know what, I just kind of jumped in uh, and made it work. So I, I think the major um concern at first was getting buy-in from families. So I would say, you know, half of my clients agreed to try it out and the other half, not so much. So um, some of them required a little bit of convincing um, and the others actually never continued. And so to me, that was the biggest hurdle was just getting buy-in from families who um, didn't really know what it was all about. And let's be honest, neither did we at first because we had never really um, offered telepractice. So I'm grateful for those clients who did follow me and try it out with me and, and helped me learn along the way. Um, but yeah, I think, yeah, that buy-in from, from my families was a little bit hard to get. And, um, I feel that now I've realized that some children that I used to see in person are actually participating a lot better during my telepractice sessions. And I think perhaps the technology, um, there's just something so engaging about it. Um, And so I've realized that we can make wonderful gains working through telepractice. I have, you know, um, progressed quicker with some clients 
if I compare to how quickly we had progressed in person. So I don't think telepractice necessarily dictates how quickly we're going to progress or how well the therapy is going to work. And that's been the aha moment for me is just, it can absolutely work and it can work really well. Exactly. And it's just, it's interesting how, um, we have these these moments where some of the kids who didn't do as well in person, you know, just suddenly start to blossom when you do telepractice. Uh, and so, yeah, it's it's the computer, you know, maybe it's just, you know, being so focused on that one person. And it's not like we're not focused when they're in person, but it just seems like we're just in one sense more connected in some sense uh, when we're really focused through telepractice and, and I think the kids can respond to that um, very easily. Absolutely. So now when you um, have like maybe some new families coming on and you're trying to convince them, like, I'm going to do this through telepractice. And uh, do you still see the hesitancy and the buy-in or is that starting to improve? Or what do you tell parents to kind of get them hooked into it? It's definitely improved since last year. Um, I feel like because my clinic is completely virtual, they know what they're signing up for when they contact me. Right. So there's already a little bit of buy-in there. Um, whereas I'm also contracted through another company. And at that time when they offer the virtual option is where I'm still having to kind of explain what that means, what it's going to look like. Um, so it is improving, but I'm still finding myself having to present what what sessions look like with me when we're working virtually um yeah so it's it's changing a little bit and i think that because virtual sessions are becoming something that's pretty widespread now for not just speech pathology but lots of different services families are more open to the idea but i i do make sure to tell them that um, I have had great success with many clients um you know different ages um with different speech and language difficulties and that the research has also shown that teletherapy can be extremely effective. And usually that, that does the trick. They're willing to give it a try. Um, I also like to tell them if it it's really not working out, I'm happy to help you find a therapist who may be able to see you in person. So I think that they appreciate that as well, knowing that they're not signing up for uh, a very long time, right. you know, stuck in something that they feel might not work very well for their family. So um, yeah, I appreciate them being willing to try. And uh, often enough, we, we stick together and, and it works out pretty well. Yeah. yeah. And I think too, just um, letting families know, like, let's just try it. And you have an out. If you feel, if I feel like it's not working, you feel like it's not working. You have an out. I had someone call me this week that, um, their child was having a distortion with S and they wanted speech therapy for that. And I, I told them, I was like, just so you know, S is a sound that it's kind of hard to hear correctly over the computer. Cause it's that high frequency sound. And, you know, a lot of times the microphones are, um, dampening the higher frequencies. So it's hard. And so I told him, I was like, if let's just try it though. And I had, I contacted a couple people that I knew could see him in person, but I was like, we can try it. And if, if I say, oh yeah, the S sounds good. And you're sitting there and say, nope, it doesn't sound good that we know it's not going to work for us. Right. But we can at least try. 
Yes. Yeah. And that's where parents come in handy too. So if they're able to listen for that distortion or that error, they can assist, you know, and let us know what they're hearing at their end. So I have had a few clients where that has come in really handy, but um, I do agree just knowing that they're not, um, you know, they're not signing up for life with us. They haven't out if, if, you know, we feel like it's not working out the way that we want it to. Yeah. And I don't feel like there's a lot of limitations um, or as many as people perceive there being on teletherapy, but I think it is still good to be honest about them when we do see a limitation with a certain client. Absolutely. It's it's all about creating those expectations in the beginning, right? So you don't mm-hmm. uh, end up um, not having the same expectations <laughs> and, and the parents getting upset, you know, it's being very clear and setting those, you know, what, what you can do, can't do. Uh, so everyone's clear and everyone's on the same page. So, yes, exactly. So Julie, so what, what is your caseload right now as you are in this virtual clinic and, and maybe what are some of your go-to materials that you've kind of uh, found quite helpful and, and boom yeah. cards is, is, Always at the top of the list, it seems. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not surprised. (laughs) Um, So I see, I do see kids of all ages. Um, Typically toddlers who are about 18 months are my youngest referrals. So those late talkers are children who haven't um, talked yet or aren't talking very much. And um, going into, you know, um, 18 year olds. However, I do um, provide language therapy for, you know, toddlers and preschoolers, but into the school age um, population, um, that's not really my niche. And so I, I like to say, you know, I work from um, one to six for all types of difficulties and then beyond um, six years old, it's mostly speech sound disorders or fluency where I feel comfortable. Um, so I do a lot of parent coaching for those little ones. And I absolutely love that. Um, don't really need a whole lot of materials for that, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. We just use whatever they have in their homes. Um, and then for preschoolers and school-aged kids. So I'm absolutely in love with Pink Cat Games. I don't mm-hmm. know if you guys have heard of that website. I have uh, just subscribed and I absolutely love it. I've been using it almost every day for so many clients. So you've got a lot of different games and people who have created lists of targets already. Mm -hmm. And you can also create your own lists if you don't find what you're looking for. And the games are just so um, child-friendly and they're colorful and very engaging. So Pink Cat Games is my absolute favorite at the moment. Um, I just saw both me and Todd grab a piece of paper <laughs> and a pencil to write yes. that down. <laughs> so that's a new one. I will that have to look one. that up. I'm so glad. Okay. Yeah. So there, there are a few free games. I think there are three or four free ones. And then if you find that you really enjoy those, you can actually subscribe and have access to a ton of activities and games where you're building different things or there are board games, um, uh, memory games and, you know, find the bug game where you have, you know, a bunch of flowers and you have to guess where the bug is. And as you're clicking around, your targets come up. So you have to, you know, practice something or answer a question before you find out what your next step in the game is. So the kids have been absolutely loving it. And uh, yeah, it's my favorite right now. Awesome. It's not some crazy Canadian thing like with Mounties and <laughs> pictures of moose and maple leaves and, and hockey. And us down here and, won't get it and, at all. <laughs> 
and and Ryan Reynolds all over the website. Promise, you know, is I that, promise that it's not. It's, it's not any of that. Okay. But you know, even if you even if it had moose and igloos and you know things like that, it would still be okay, right? Right. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah that's my favorite right now and of course um boom cards are there i i love boom cards by amy graham mm-hmm. and adventures in speech pathology and mm-hmm. there are just so many that i use on a regular basis uh, basic sorry there are so many that i use on a regular basis um <laughs> dave sindry who has mm-hmm. been on your podcast as well i absolutely Thanks. love mm-hmm. troll in a bowl mm-hmm. the kids go crazy for those as well um mm-hmm. yeah and ultimately I was going to say, you have to give a shout out to your fellow Canadian, I right? Have to. He's that's, just that's so right. fantastic and always offering free resources. He is so generous and um, I absolutely love what he creates. So, shout out to him for sure. Um, yeah. And then also yeah. Ultimate SLP, which I'm sure you've, you've heard of. That's the other really fun website with, you know, the um, different game boards and things mm-hmm, like that. Because mm-hmm. um, Pink Cat Games is, I find, is for a little bit like younger children and then ultimate SLP is for my more school-aged kids. So mm-hmm. those are my go-tos at mm. the moment. And I have been thinking about this lately too. Like I am a big believer in if someone else will make it and I don't have to, I am happy to pay them for that. Right? <laughs> like, like I, you know, that just is such a relief to me to not have to create it from scratch that I'm like, yes, take my money. And I know that sometimes can be hard, especially like if we're in schools and have budgets and things, but don't, don't undervalue your own time and your own like how long it would take you to create the same thing <laughs> absolutely and and I think now I know what I'm looking for as far as um mm-hmm. digital materials but at the beginning right. I felt like I didn't really know what I was going to need and I just wanted to buy everything and yes. I ended up investing in things that didn't end up being right for my caseload or um but I just wanted to have just like we have all of the toys for in-person sessions, I wanted all of the digital materials. And um, that's probably advice that I would give myself, you know, a year ago is <laughs> don't buy all the things, <laughs> not right away. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And luckily there are lots of things that people do provide like a sample of it free. So you can, you know, check it out, see if it's something that works for you. And then you know, go buy all the things. (laughs) That's true. I do appreciate those freebies that help us explore new resources and see if they're appropriate for us. Right. (laughs) So you you were saying, you know, if you could go back and tell your, you know, yourself a year ago, what you've learned, think of, so let's continue that conversation. If you don't mind, are there other things that you've noticed that you could pass on to those people who may be just now starting to get into telepractice and starting to do this? what to what to do or how to, how to approach this yeah so um i think i would tell other therapists you know yes it is scary it's something new um but just like i tell my clients you can do hard things and there are so many resources out now to guide therapists and um, tell them all about what teletherapy is and what resources you can use. And so um, it's easy to reach out for help. And, you know, especially over a year into um, the pandemic, I think there are probably 
better equipped than we were back then. And so I think um, they can do it. You know, we, we are um, resilient. We can adapt. We're good at doing that in person, adapting our sessions, you know, depending on how they go. We can do that with our service delivery model as well. Um, yeah, I think. Yeah. And again, there's, there's help out there. There are groups on social media. Um, they perhaps have colleagues who have started working, um, virtually as well. So I think it's a good time to start now considering, you know, the amount of knowledge that therapists have accumulated over the last year or so. Yeah. Great advice. And where do you want to go with your practice? I mean, how, you know, looking out the next three to five years, where do you where do you want to do with this the virtual service delivery? I would love to remain virtual for as long as possible. I have fallen in love with the virtual model and teletherapy for so many reasons. Um, and so, as things kind of norm normalize again, um, I would perhaps like to extend my services to remote locations or cities with very few speech pathologists or extremely long wait lists for services and be able to help those families virtually and be able to continue to offer my favorite, you know, service delivery model moving forward. And um, I would, of course, love to um, continue to grow my caseload and, um, one other idea that I've had is to create some training videos for parents, perhaps, especially mm -hmm. for those toddlers, um, you know, late talkers, um, you know, just to learn some strategies and guide them a little bit and what they should be looking for and what they could try. Um, so that's something that's kind of brewing. Mm -hmm. I, I might want to create those parent training videos someday in the future. Well, that all sounds exciting. Well, Julie, if, if someone wants to reach out to you and, and continue this conversation or ask you more questions, how can they get in touch with you? So um, they can absolutely visit my website, which is sweetspeechtherapy.ca. And I'm also both on Instagram and Facebook under Sweet Speech Therapy. So it's always very easy to reach me there as well. And I would be happy to connect with anyone who wants to connect with me. Awesome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having Great. me. We enjoyed our conversation with Julie, and we wish her nothing but the best of luck as she continues to grow Sweet Speech Therapy, her virtual clinic. So check out what she has to offer and look her up on the web. She also mentioned Pink Cat Games, which is another website. And she says she's had a really great experience with the website and with the games and so if you haven't heard of them, go check them out. Tell them you heard about them on the Telepractice Today podcast. And maybe they'll sponsor us. Who knows? And with that, just wanted to remind you of May 5th at 6 p.m. 6 p.m. until about 7.30 Eastern Time. We will be hosting a live telecast of this podcast to our newly formed Telepractice Today Facebook group. So if you haven't joined the group, please, please do. We have a stellar lineup of four panelists that we've interviewed before on the podcast. Amy Graham, Stacy Krause, uh, Stacy Pfaff, and Amanda Blackwell. So some really talented 
clinicians who are joining us who have been doing telepractice, and they have a great deal more information they want to share. So make sure you're joining us for that live broadcast of this podcast in celebration of our 50th episode. So put that on your calendar. And with that, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Until then, stay safe and be kind. This has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network. Music